Welcome back to the Facts About PACs podcast, brought to you by NABPAC, the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. I am your host, Michaela Isler, NABPAC's Executive Director. Today's episode is an uplifting and extremely instructive one. Our guest, NABPAC board member Jeannie Slade. She is the director of both political and grassroots advocacy at the National Emergency Medicine PAC at the American College of Emergency Physicians. But first, I am joined, as always, by Abigail Cave and Adam Belmar. Hey, Michaela, here from Wyoming again. Yes, and I, too, am glad to be back on the Facts About PACs. Adam, we have some good news. Our friend in Wyoming will be back in D.C. in a couple of weeks. We can't wait to see you, Abigail. I'm so excited to be back. It's been too long. You know, the secret is, with this new microphone, you can't tell where she is. (laughs) Okay, Adam, let's get episode 11 officially underway. The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business PACs. In every episode, we recap this week's NABPAC activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. Thanks, Adam. This week, NAPAC members had an exclusive opportunity to speak directly to the senior United States Senator from New Jersey, Senator Bob Menendez. Uh, As most folks know, the Senator serves as the ranking member on the Foreign Relations Committee. He's also on the Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Committee, where he is the ranking member on the Subcommittee on Housing, Transportation, and Community Development. And finally, Senator Menendez is also a member of the Senate Finance Committee, where he serves on the Subcommittee on Taxation and IRS Oversight and the Subcommittee on Healthcare. He was a special guest in our Policymaker Speaker Series this week. And, um, you know, I thought first and foremost, he really was insightful and incredibly thoughtful, uh, given that New Jersey has been uh, one of the hardest hit states in the country with COVID-19. Uh, but he also had some really important things to say about the business pack community, Adam. He did. I mean, he was upfront that he is a firm believer in the need for employee-funded PACs to be respected, that they play an important role, just as labor union PACs do. He's not a big fan of dark money, but he was unequivocal in his support for employee-funded PACs. And as you said, I think the thing that was most interesting was his candor in his ability to encapsulate what's been going on in New Jersey, which has been at the epicenter of the original COVID-19 outbreak. Abigail, one of the other things that I thought was interesting that he talked about and something we've been talking about on our podcast is, um, you know, really working to create access to the ballot box and something we've been talking about, especially uh, with COVID-19 and concerns about getting to uh, the polling locations. Uh, any thoughts from you on his comments there? Yeah, he talked a lot about vote by mail and definitely something we've been talking about a lot over the past couple of weeks, just how to stay safe while we're voting. And that's going to look a little bit different in every state. But it sounds like New Jersey's making moves to be uh, to vote by mail in their state, especially since it's so risky to go vote in person. So it'll be interesting to see how our member companies and organizations can continue to encourage voting safely regardless of how your state chooses to implement that. Absolutely. I think too, uh, I was really pleased at the very end when he offered a bit of optimism and hope for the country and that uh, we're all moving in the right direction and hopefully on a path to uh, reopening the economy, but also ensuring that his, that the country is healthy. I think any time, you know, a senior senator 
will make talking to the National Association of Business Political Action Committees a priority. That's really impressive. And he thanked you specifically, NABPAC, widely, and of course, some of the other folks who are in the leadership for helping to put it together. But I think that that communication, and we're, and we're seeing it on both sides of the aisle, but it's important to all of us. He's not in cycle, but cares deeply about how this election unfolds for the American people and does not want to see employee-funded PACs disenfranchised. Yeah, very encouraged by that. And as we work as an organization to continue to build our relationships with key policymakers on the Hill, uh, we have several of these events um, that we're continuing to work on. And our guest actually today, Jeannie Slade, is part of our governance and policy committee and where we're working to uh, really develop those relationships. Let's take a pivot to our special guest this week, Jeannie Slade, who, as you mentioned, is known to many of us. She is a board member of our association. Her day job, though, puts her on the front lines of the COVID-19 response, along with her association members at the American College of Emergency Physicians. Jeannie, thank you so much. Welcome to the Facts About PACS podcast. We are thrilled to have you on our show today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be joining. I'm one of the biggest fans of the podcast. So to be part of it this week is, uh, is a big thrill. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. You and your team really sprung into action immediately. We've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a while, but we knew you were in the thick of reacting and engaging your members. So, But before we get to the unbelievable advocacy programs that you've been working on, now that we're roughly four months into this pandemic, how are you and your members doing at this moment? Well, I would say uh, for sure we're very engaged. Um, we, we've, we've always been talked about ourselves as being on the front lines of the healthcare system and almost the window into public health issues and, and needs. So I would say our members are, depending on what area of the country we're talking about, they're either in a hot spot and they are looking to their colleagues that have already gone through spikes of this pandemic or they are trying to recover and are going into different phases of recovery, but still expecting a second wave. So we are far from being in a place where we can relax our efforts. Jeannie, you play a dual-hatted role at your organization. And I want you to talk to folks for a second about the pivot that the American College of Emergency Physicians made as all of this kicked off. You deal with advocacy and the PAC, in, in both cases, you pivoted to virtual at a really critical time, right on the cusp of an annual fly-in, and yet you pulled it off with great participation. Talk about that. We had our fly-in scheduled for April 28th. We were due to be on the Hill, and our fly-in brings about 500 emergency physicians from all over the country to D.C. It's a highlight of our advocacy efforts every year. Uh, we made a decision, I believe in March, that that would not be possible. First of all, it wasn't safe, and we didn't also want to pull our physicians off the, their frontline um, care that they were providing. But we still knew how important it was for Congress to hear from them uh, firsthand about what they were seeing and what they needed to take care of patients. So we made a decision about three weeks uh, right in the beginning of April to try to do a virtual fly-in and um, didn't really have much 
experience or even colleagues to work uh, talk to about well, how how do you pull something like this off? But what we did have is the help of Soapbox um, Consulting, who we have used in the past to schedule our live Hill visits. Um, we worked with them. They are a very professional organization, and they said, "Look, we we'll, we can do this." So we um, we registered people just as we'd register for a regular fly-in. And Soapbox scheduled phone calls, teams of our physicians that would um, be on a call with their member of Congress. We found that it was not difficult to um, get the member of Congress to be on these calls because they wanted to hear from emergency physicians and providers that um, what is actually going on in their community, what are their needs, how can they protect their constituents, what kind of measures did they need to to implement in some of these COVID packages. So we actually had almost 500 physicians sign up, which is almost the same amount that would come to DC. We had over 300 telephone meetings. And one of our biggest issues was getting personal protective equipment for physicians and other providers on the front line. It came off well. We did a webinar a couple of days before the calls and we recorded that so that everyone would be prepared and we had team leaders for each team that's on each call and it went off wonderfully. So um, it, it really was a good idea. Glad we did it. <laughs> Little by the seat of our pants, but um, I've talked to other groups now that are trying it and, and glad to be a resource to them as well. Well, that's an important point, Jeannie, because you were able to, without really any experience in a virtual fly-in or other folks to talk to about how they pulled it off, you knew you had to do something and you took the risk and you jumped in. And it sounds like from there, you were really able to build out an incredible program that included over 100,000 messages to Congress about PPE shortages. And I think it's just so important to note that the campaign grew so big that everyday citizens ended up engaging. It was it really went beyond just your membership and, and the engagement from so many uh, was critically important. Tell us about how you were able to move in that direction and expand and engage so many more everyday concerned Americans. We start first started hearing from our physicians about the pandemic. I think we first started hearing from Washington State, New York. Those were the two early hotbeds. We thought we need a way to, for them to communicate with each other across the country because this is going to continue to spread in other, in other regions. So we, we had this communication hub that they could join and share stories and treatments and things they were seeing. When they, one clear priority with them that came out of that was they needed PPE, that they were suffering all over the country. They couldn't get it. And they were um, there were stories of our physicians using, rehabbing to reuse PPE, just situations that should not have been happening. So we did a phone to action campaign where um, our physicians could write to Congress, email actually, uh, Congress about their needs for PPE. But what happened was they realized that their colleagues, maybe that were not physicians or their family members, wanted to also contact Congress and tell them their story that my father is coming home every day and he's afraid to come in the house of what he might be bringing in. My mother is an emergency physician or a nurse and not getting the protection they need. So we developed a public campaign 
that we pushed out through our members, but also on encourage them to put this campaign on their social media so that the public then would have an option to also go to Congress. And that's how we, we got the 100, over 100,000 emails to Congress from outside of our organization. And that was really incredible for us because we try to engage the public in our issues, but this was the first time we really had that kind of response. And I think it was because you have to have an issue that resonates with your members, but also that the public can see and grasp the, the relevance to them as well. Jeannie, one of the things that we've heard from other leaders in the PAC community is that it required a reassessment about goals for the year. And I understand you all paused your fundraising at a critical moment. And over the course of the last 90 days, while you've been doing so much outreach, you've begun that fundraising process again. And in doing so, you've added something really special. You've added a PAC match. Yes, we did suspend our fundraising and completely focused on education and grassroots advocacy focusing on the, co the pandemic. But our PAC board said, look, part of our three-pronged advocacy, our grassroots, our lobbying, and our um, PAC is we can't just let one of them go by the wayside with the elections coming up. And we felt like we had been doing a really good job of creating resources for our members and showing the value of our association at this time. So thought, why don't we try a soft ask of our membership for the PAC? And we decided to add the PAC match and match 10% of everything there um, that we would take in 10 cents on the dollar, I should say, in June. So anybody that gave in June, now we're matching 10 cents on the dollar and they can choose from three charities that have to do with the COVID-19 pandemic, either research, mental health, or helping to get PPE. And those charities were chosen by our PAC board. So Jeannie, in 2018, you and ACEC were the winners of NABPAC Trailblazer Awards, which is, for those who are not familiar, the best in class for association and corporate PAC. So y'all were our association PAC winner. How are you using some of those ideas that set you apart in the PAC world? How have you changed them to make them work in a time of COVID? Wow. Um, it's, that seems like a long time ago. <laughs> and thank you. I, I that was a great honor to um, recognize our pack and the work we're doing. We, we, you know, first of all, everything has to be virtual now. So much of our pack success in the past was face-to-face -face interactions with our members at two important meetings, our annual meeting and our fly-in. And that's when we engaged our members because they were right in Washington, D.C., or they were among 6,000 colleagues and meeting you know, face to face and networking. So we would take advantage of those two places to do our best PAC fundraising and education and um, really peer to peer efforts. So all that had to go by the wayside really. Um, so we're, we're doing everything virtually now. We thought the charity match would be a way to engage members that had maybe not never thought about giving to the PAC because all of a sudden they could do, it's a double, double win for them. You know, we're, I'm, I'm giving to the PAC, I'm joining my colleagues and helping to elect members of Congress champions that have helped us through this COVID 
pandemic. And we've also are giving back to, to people that need it. But it has, I, I will say, it, it's been a challenge just to go virtual on everything we're doing. And we're right now trying to figure out what we're going to do for our annual meeting. Because our annual meeting was scheduled for October. We raised almost $300,000 there. And now the, it will be completely virtual. So I'm looking for ideas. <laughs> you know, Michaela, that is something that is confronting associations all across this city and the country. Business models have been upended. So many of the things that we do we're predicated upon meeting in person, being able to exchange ideas to travel. It was the highlight of many folks' calendars. And one thing I learned in talking to Jeannie is that doctors in particular, they have to get their schedules straight really early on. It's hard to do the job that they do and make a quick pivot to an in-person something that just wasn't planned for. And so Jeannie, talk for just a second about what it is as we move to virtual, sure, there are challenges. You've already alluded to the fact that in many cases, it can be really effective. It's an effective use of these doctors' time, maybe more than the in-person. And it can also be effective to communicate with lawmakers in this way. Yes, it has been, actually. Um, we, another thing we've started virtually is happy hours. So every two weeks, we invite our VIP donors, which is a, maybe an audience of about 500 physicians, to participate in uh, a happy hour. And we, we uh, take the first 100 that sign up with a member of Congress that's a champion um, of, on particular issues we're working on. And they've been extremely popular. Um, our, our PAC chairman um, is the moderator. And um, we've also had Nathan Gonzalez on as well to talk about the elections. So we're just really trying to find some, um, some people that have been helping us and actually start a dialogue with them and show the value to our, our donors of um, the connections that we've made through the PAC. Well, the other thing too, Jeannie, I mean, that we just have to mention is that you've had tremendous success in moving the needle from a legislative perspective. And I think as we've talked, we've been in this business a long time, um, you know, the more we talk about the issues and the importance of engagement, you start to see uh, enhanced involvement in the PAC activities. There's a direct correlation. And I think it'll be, I'll be interested to hear how your PAC match campaign goes in June. And I, I just something tells me that your efforts virtually in October will be a smashing success. I really do. Before we go, Jeannie, just curious, looking back, any lessons learned now that we're sort of four months later, anything that you would do differently? Look I'm not sure that I would do anything differently, but I think you always have to have plan B. And, you know, we, we've had success over and over at our fly-ins and our annual meetings and things work and we've, we've implemented new programs, but we didn't anticipate that we might not have those opportunities and that we might not collect the amount of funds that we normally do in this election cycle. So I think you always have to have plan B. And also for me, I've relied so much on our PAC board. And I think that if you have that infrastructure and leadership behind you in your organization, it is so important because you can really pivot quickly and make decisions quickly if you have their backing. 
we couldn't agree more. In fact, we've been hearing a lot about PAC board engagement, and I think that is going to be something that NAPAC will be looking to host a roundtable or webinar session on in the future. So we'll look forward to having your insights and engagement on that as well down the road. Jeannie, I want to thank you so much for sharing your experiences over the last four months. Appreciate you taking the time to be with us this morning, and thank you for being such a great leader in the PAC community and uh, on the NABPAC board. Thank you, Michaela. Great to work with you. I want to thank all of our NABPAC listeners and everyone who finds this show valuable. I want to thank Adam Belmar and Abigail Cave for being with me today. As ever, we want everyone to know the facts about PACs. And until next week, stay safe, stay engaged, and keep moving forward.